Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. As always, great show today. We have Nico of AFI Capital Partners. Uh, we talk about his background at Privateer and what he learned there, the thesis going into AFI and investing in uh, a few of the names that you know, Trees, Headset, Vanks, and also some plant-touching opportunities, which he separated for investors to de-risk those opportunities a little bit into sidecars. So we talk about what that means, a little bit of new lingo, vocabulary for you. We also talk about doing enough due diligence with just a two-person team and why that means co-investing with bigger, more established funds. It's a great episode, guys. You're going to love it. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. If you like what you hear and you listen all the time, you get a lot of value out of this show, uh, do us a favor and write us a review in the podcast app or on iTunes. It really helps us move up the rankings and make sure other people hear this great knowledge. Uh, big shout out to Aaron of Gold Seal, long-term listener, for writing us a really glowing review. Much appreciated, man. Well, Nico, thanks so much for joining us. Really excited to have you. First of all, just welcome. Brandon, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, really absolutely. Let's get you started on an easy one here. What is AFI? So AFI is a targeted growth equity fund that my partner and I started in uh, September of 2018. So it's relatively new. Um, we focus on uh, solely on investing in the cannabis industry in uh, ancillary assets. So uh, our investments do not touch the plant within the fund itself. Got it. Okay. And tell me a little bit more about developing that thesis, mostly ancillary, but you've also done some sidecar touching the plant. Sort of how did that balance come together, I suppose? Correct. So when we, when we started putting this vehicle together, what we really wanted was uh, an investment platform that we thought didn't really exist in the industry yet, where we could go to a number of family offices that were you know, very interested in investing in cannabis, but hadn't quite yet crossed that threshold uh, because of the risks associated with it. Um, so we wanted to create a, 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 a proper uh, investment vehicle that they could they could get exposure to the cannabis space without taking the headline federal risk. So we started this concept of uh, let's have just an ancillary only fund. Let's make it incredibly targeted. So our, our initial uh, investment size going on the first fund was $15 million. Um, and then because just my background and cheese background, we knew that we'd see uh, a very large amount of deal flow coming in from plant touching opportunities. Um, so we decided we create a serial LLC sidecar that would sit to the side of the fund, which we call AFICP sidecar. And we would uh, allow investors to opt in on that sidecar on a deal by deal basis for opportunistic plant touching investments that we saw that she and I both wanted to get into. So we actually have this bifurcated strategy whereby uh, our our committed capital uh, fund itself is a ancillary fund, but we do have a, a you know deal by deal sidecar uh, that sits alongside it where our investors can get exposure to plant touching opportunities. And how many of the LPs have chosen to take part in those sidecars? I think to date now, it's probably close to 90% uh, have been in one deal or another. So we've executed two deals in the sidecar. Um, so far, we have nine deals in the fund since September. We have two deals in the sidecar. We're about to execute our third and largest deal um, to date uh, will be in the sidecar as well. So, you know, our original thesis being that LPs would want to uh, cordon off the federal risk, the headline risk of plant touching opportunities. Um, 
I don't want to say proof false because not everyone likes every single deal on the sidecar and have, have different risks associated with their uh, invest investment thesis. Um, but we have seen almost all of our investors come into the sidecar today. Yeah, interesting. And and when you think about the sidecar, is there a certain minimum that you ask people to participate on? And can do you have others that are not LPs in the fund that participate in them? Uh, so to date, we haven't had uh, non-participants in the fund in the sidecar. That will likely change going forward um, just because deal sizes are starting to creep up. Where we have uh, a set um, framework by which we invest in the fund, meaning our deal sizes are typically between 500K and $2 million. Uh, we don't have that. Uh, we don't have that. Um, those barriers in in the sidecar really is opportunistic so it's it's deal by deal uh, because of that we don't have associated minimums with the sidecar it's usually on a same thing deal by deal basis so you know we'll have one investment that's four hundred thousand dollars in the sidecar or minimum basically was you know twenty five thousand dollars in in that investment uh, but we'll also have another deal in the sidecar which will be multi-million dollar at this point and we just we can't offer uh, the same baseline minimum to a deal like that so uh, where you know the fund itself is very structured the sidecar is not it really is a deal by deal basis got it okay let's talk about the portfolio a little bit you've been very busy since september uh i'll just sort of read them off and maybe give me your one or two liner of what was uh, what was interesting about them we'll start with a company that was recently on this show uh trees sure um we are Big, big fans of John Yang and his team over at Trees. Uh, that was one of our earlier deals that we did, um, both in the fund and, and she and I had exposure to it prior to that as well um, uh, through a, our separate vehicle. So we've, we've been uh, you know, involved with Trees now for over a year. Um, this is, uh, I believe they are now the uh, largest POS system in California, which is great. They have seven of the top 10 largest vertically integrated dispensaries in, in California, and they really are an enterprise level software system. So, I mean, all the big boys look at trees as uh, not just a simple POS situation, uh, POS solution, but something that, that helps them manage their, their overall, uh, Yep, their overall asset. Yep, so, absolutely. Uh, next up is uh, headset. Um, tell us a little bit about headset. Headset is, uh, in our eyes, the premier uh, data analytics platform um, in the cannabis industry to date. So they've gotten a lot of press recently around uh, their partnerships with both Gilson uh, and Deloitte and Cowan uh, in the U.S. Both to attack the Canadian market and the U.S. market. Um, I've known Cy now for. Uh, six years since I started the a privateer, days, yeah. since the Leafly days, right? So I was one of the early employees of Privateer. Uh, I joined a couple of years after they had acquired uh, Leafly from, from Cy and his team. Uh, but I, you know, I worked hand in hand with those guys for, for a number of years and just have the utmost respect for Cy. So getting into headset was also a very uh, early investment for us, but uh, getting into headset when we did was, was a no brainer, uh, knowing the quality of, of Cy and his team. Um, so we were thrilled about that, about that investment and, uh, and, you know, really excited to see what they, they bring to the cannabis industry in the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the first deal that you led, correct? 
Uh, that was the first deal that we led, correct. We uh, we co-led that along with Poseidon, um, and then Canopy Rivers also came in um, alongside us as well. Talk a little bit about that process versus following on, uh, kind of being your first one. Like, uh, how was it different? I suppose. To be honest uh, with you, it's it's not terribly different from when we do follow-on investments because of the the area we play in in growth equity. We take a, a pretty heavy hand uh, when it comes to both diligencing uh, assets and, and investments that we're looking at, and also structuring the deals. Um, you know, Trees is a good example of that we we didn't lead Trees Series A. Uh, we did lead the two convertible notes going into the Series A. Um, so, you know, while we don't have the headline, uh, title for, for series A for trees, we, we actually spent a ton of time with John and his team, uh, working through that, but, you know, obviously there's, there's a, a different level of, of, uh, of diligence that goes into it. There's a different level of structuring when you are leading, leading those investments, but, um, within the fund, at least we, we really, um, there isn't that much of a gulf in the in the in the the uh, sidecar there is you know we were in harborside in the sidecar and and that really was a, a follow-on investment whereby we were we were late dollars into that um, and we just saw it as a, a you know very well-priced asset um, investment to come into um, do you do you think it would have been different had you not had the other sort of two co-leads I suppose Everyone brought something else to the table. So we only have one co-lead on that, um, which was Poseidon. Uh, Canopy also came in as, as uh, the next largest investor, actually, after Poseidon and then us. Um, but but Poseidon, I led that deal. Uh, everyone brought something else strategically to the table. So it wasn't a matter of the heavy lift with diligencing. It was really, uh, you know, what each company was going to was what each investment firm was going to bring to the table. Uh, Poseidon has obviously been with uh, with headset for a long time, uh, they let their seed round, um, so that they were a no-brainer to partner with on this. Um, and uh, again, um, the reason we do this, uh, a good reason we do this, is we like to limit our uh, check size because of diversification within the fund. So, if we can only write a maximum of two million dollar check, it makes it pretty difficult for us to lead a, a you know nine, ten, twelve million dollar round yep. um, for a Series A. So, because of that, we we find. Um, some of the larger players in the industry we can partner with and and help shoulder that burden. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, uh, one I actually wasn't aware of is North Swan. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Northern Swan. Yeah, I, I've known Kyle Detweiler, who is the CEO of Northern Swan, and Tim Tully, who's the, the COO, for a long time. So I actually met them in 2000, I believe November of 2015 at uh, Canvas Conference in Vegas. Uh, really bright guys, Blackstone, KKR background, Oxf uh, for Tim Tully. Um, you know, really, really sharp young guys. So I've been following them for years before uh when Northern Swan was, was, I believe it was called uh, Silver Swan in the beginning, um, and then turned into Northern Swan. And just watching them evolve their, their, uh, their thinking on how they were going to approach the, the cannabis industry. It started as almost like a mini privateer holdings where they had a, um, you know, a, a, a very uh, consolidated uh, portfolio underneath a hold co rather than a fund structure, which is, which is also how portfolios, uh, how privateer holdings started. Um, so I've been following them for a long time. They started out with a little more diversification and eventually melded their, molded their strategy to focus more on international supply chain. And that's when I became really interested in from an investment perspective. Um, so, uh, they made a, 
a large investment in a business called Clever Leaves down in Colombia. Um, and basically, this is the leading uh, cultivator, producer, processor, GMP producer, processor in Colombia. Uh, and they helped build that out. Colombia itself was a very interesting strategy. It fits into our long-term view and thesis of, of uh, you know, production of cannabinoids in the future, which is you're not going to have this, um, you know, 10 years down the road, you're not going to have this incredibly fragmented system from, from a cultivation standpoint. You'll either go towards biosynthetics or you'll go towards equatorial uh, production and then, um, you know, processing down to, down to cannabinoids. And Colombia basically set up their regulations early to, to be able to export uh, for medical and for, for recreational purposes. So that became incredibly attractive. Uh, Kyle and his team jumped on that investment uh, very early. We're able to build that out. Uh, it's, they've done a phenomenal job. But the, the main thing with Colombia is the only way you succeed in Colombia is if you have uh, the ability to open up markets outside of Colombia, particularly uh, not the U.S., but Canada and Europe, where you can import and export into um, into uh, uh, European medical, uh, you know, federally uh, um, federally mandated programs. And so, Kyle and his team uh, at Northern Swan have done an incredible job at opening up those markets for the Clever Leaves team down in Colombia, which has given them a, a real jumpstart on on. Uh, on the Colombian investment um, strategy, which is great. How do you think about investing in sort of another fund like Northern Swan versus sort of a direct investment in a company? I mean, was that part of the original thesis here that you would do some of that? No, and we wouldn't invest in another fund. So uh, again, Northern Swan is a, uh, a holding company. Um, it, it's kind of the same idea, and I'm not going to compare ourselves to them and then immediately regret it, but it's the idea of, of uh, you know, founders fund investing in private share holdings. <laughs> they had a certain number of assets that were wholly owned or majority owned um, that were not placed into a fund structure, but you were actually able to buy equity within um within the whole co, which is essentially what we're doing. We're getting exposure to a couple assets we really like through that vehicle, uh, but it, it we wouldn't invest through a fund structure. This is yeah. not a, a fund of funds play here. Got it. Uh, okay, next one is a beverage uh, company, Mirth Provisions. Lots of beverage offerings out there today. Why that one? Yeah, so this one was, was pretty early, actually. It was actually the first... Uh, I think it was probably the first real uh, beverage company with scale. Uh, they started back in 2015 and been around quite a while um, and uh, started in Oregon and, and Washington and quickly gained market share in both those markets. Um, to date, they're, I think, in the top three right now uh, of beverages in every market they're in, so Oregon, Washington, California. And they're about to release or have just released a CBD only line of hop cider, which we're incredibly excited about, mm -hmm. uh, which will be, um, I don't know if it's going to be nationwide, but it will be uh, outside of just cannabis states at this point. So they'll, they'll be targeting the East Coast uh, um, and West Coast with, with that beverage line. Have, the, you tr have you tried it yet? How much does it taste like cider? The other sort of non-alcoholic, but similar... I, yeah, I have a box on my desk right now. Actually, I'm looking at it. Uh, it it is. I, I I kid you not. This is a phenomenal beverage. It's uh, you know they basically zigged when the rest of the market zagged towards non-alcoholic beer. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of the non-alcoholic beers, and that was you know originally our thesis is this is the 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 
the vice that people are most comfortable consuming is beverage. And so cannabis has to find a way into the beverage industry, which everyone knows now that, you know, we were kind of targeting this a little bit early prior, prior to, uh, you know, major strategic investment into Canada. So, you know, we, we picked these guys early on the, the two main, um, issues when it comes to, uh, uh, making sure that beverage works from a, a cannabinoid standpoint is onset and offset. Um, so you have to have fast onset times and you have to have fast onset off, offset times. The experience has to be something that's, that's recognizable to your average alcohol consumer. Uh, and that's been the tough part in general with, with beverages and they're starting to get over that. Um, Mirth has a, a great technology behind it called Graventine 2, which they've released in, in um, Oregon. They will release it in Washington now and then California, and it's 10-minute onset. Um, so, you know, that in and of itself is incredibly important in my head. The next piece is make sure it's sessionable. So, you know, 5 to 10 milligrams. Um, you know, Merch Provisions, when they started their legal brand, really started in the medical market. So they had beverages, you know, 30 milligrams, 100 milligrams. And they still, you know, that's still a, a hot selling item. But, you know, they do have to um, start to attack the more sessionable categories, which is what they're doing now. Got it. Um, you, you did ask about the flavor of autos, though. Yeah. It, it really is a, a wonderful flavor for the pairing between, especially when it's CBD only, the, there isn't as strong of a, a cannabinoid taste to it, cannabis taste to it. Um, but the pairing with a hop cider uh, just it doesn't mask the flavor of it. it. It actually pairs very nicely with it, which is, which is mm. great. I love that. Awesome. Yeah. It's going to be super interesting to try that one out. Uh, back on the software side, Vanks, the uh, staffing platform. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Again, we made a, a very early investment in Carson, a personal investment um, over a year ago, who's the founder of Vanks. And she's a phenomenal uh, young woman. Um, they're based out of, out of Colorado. Uh, it's really a couple of different businesses. There's a, a placement business, um, which is, you know, as you typically see in, in you know, um, uh, placement businesses, they place C, you know, C-suite uh, people, you know, VPs, director level um, uh, uh, personnel and into companies across the cannabis industry. Um, but then she also launched this uh, short-term staffing business, which is now has a tech arm to it, which is Gigs, is their uh, mobile platform. And this was really the you know the missing piece that the cannabis industry didn't have. It's a very transient workforce. Whether you're thinking of cultivation or processing, you think of trimmers, then you think of retail. It's bud tenders, but you know this this workforce tends to move uh, within legal states uh, from from company to company. And, you know, the originally building that workforce on her end was the most important part. Now she's finding ways to uh, to really connect people with technology through the gigs platform, which we've seen is just a, a huge boom. Um, and she's just done an absolutely phenomenal job growing that business since we invested uh, earlier this year. I mean, they were started in Colorado and now they're in multiple states. Uh, and it's uh I hate the, the puns, but it really is growing like a weed, which we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're very happy to see. 
I've literally heard every pun on the planet so far in the last six <laughs> yeah. years. But. So it's a budding business as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, um, uh, kind of, if you can give us some sense of the scale there. I mean, uh, I think Canvas is quickly becoming sort of this good old boys network to a more advanced technology driven one. Is it still in the hands of sort of the the big players or has it trickled down yet? Give us sort of a, a sense of that scale, I guess. Thanks. The scale of banks in what in what sense? What they're I mean, I, I won't talk about revenues of the company at this point. I don't think. I don't think. She's no, no, no. I just. That, I just meant uh, you know uh, how many of these companies yeah. are using this? You know, uh, are they are they getting trimmers in Humboldt using banks today? Is that is that happening? Uh, I don't know. If she has exposure to Humboldt. She has exposure across California at this point uh-huh. uh, throughout all of Colorado. I mean, for instance. Uh, headsets had people place uh, placements from banks at this point. Uh, we've, uh, I believe Mirth has used them uh, at one point. Uh, I think Got Trees it. actually had a placement from them. So this is, it's not ubiquitous, but it's it's getting there. Um, yeah. You know, she really has done a phenomenal job growing this. And it's not just, you know, what, what I think of as traditional cannabis businesses, but she's now attacking all of the ancillary businesses as well, which, yeah. is, which is what we like to see. Uh, very cool. So it, it, I don't have a good answer on scale, but it's uh, beyond what we expected uh, when we first invested there. Understood. Okay. Um, let's see. Just a few more here. How about Willow, the remediation technology? Yeah, Willow uh, was a, a, a more recent one. We, we made three investments really since we started talking about scheduling this interview. Uh, Willow is a, a great technology. It's a remediation technology. So you think of uh, microbes. Um, you know, uh, bacteria, basically you can run finished product through this system and it, it, it essentially sterilizes uh, the product with minimal impact to terpene profile or cannabinoids, actually no impact to terpene profile or cannabinoids. Um, so we actually did uh, third party testing on all this before we made an investment in the company. Uh, they started in Colorado and, you know, initially it was people, obviously this is a, a technology where, where customers don't like to admit that they're using it. Um, but uh, it started with people cleaning up tainted product as, uh, as testing requirements got more stringent. And now you're seeing this across multiple states where testing requirements are getting more stringent. Mm-hmm. Um, started with cleaning up product and it is now moving into the realm where, where people are actually buying the machines or renting the machines in-house and running all their product through it. Um, just because the the risk of having uh, a failed product go through and having to do a recall is is just too great. Um, the thesis behind this investment was actually watching this this uh, this strategy, uh, assignment strategy, but watching uh, remediation technology play out in Canada when I was uh, working back at, at Privateer, and it, it basically you know every single company within Canada was using some sort some sort of remediation technology, whether it was gamma radiation. Um, this was a much cleaner technology than what I had seen in the past. And so as you know, we started to see states uh, put more and more effort and regulation around testing. Uh, we, we felt this was a necessary piece to have in our portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a few more that I, I, I don't know if I would want to go through all of them here. Uh, um, <laughs> of course. But, but let's just talk a little bit about one of the things I love to ask investors. Is there one that sort of got away? Is there one that you wish you had been in and just sort of missed out or wasn't the right timing or whatever? 
Um, in our portfolio, uh, not yet. There's a couple we, we went to, um, we put in term sheets to lead and we didn't lead, but we we're still in the deal. Um, uh-huh. so that's, you know, and this is sort of a function of, of the work that she and I put in early on when we're going through the diligence process and making sure that we're providing value to our companies, um, uh, that, you know, we, we tend to get access to these deals, even if, even if we're not leading them, uh, both trees and banks for deals that, uh, we ended up not, uh, having our term sheets accepted, but we were still in those deals. So, uh, fish that kind of got away, but we still, still got a piece of the tail, I guess. Um, and then if, if you go back to the beginning of my career, I can, we could talk about that for, for the rest of the call, <laughs> right? Packs back in 2015, 2014 and yep. you know, um, goes on and on CGC when it was $200 million market cap. And you, you looked at packs, you had that opportunity and passed or what happened? Yeah, that was when I was actually driving cross, cross country to join privateer. Uh, I had another friend that was investing in packs. And so I was on conference calls discussing whether or not that was an investment we should be making in privateer as I was making my way from New Hampshire to Seattle. Um, so we ended up not doing that. Um, but you know, we just a, a function of who privateer was when I joined them as sort of the 500 pound gorilla in the room, they saw every deal, quite literally every deal you've seen, they saw for, for a four year period. Um, and obviously they had an incredibly uh, uh, consolidated portfolio. So um, yeah, they did not, it was not a growth equity shop. It wasn't a middle yeah. market buyout shop. It really was a, a holding company. <laughs> Um, so yeah. they, they didn't do it a, a large number of minority deals, but yeah, yeah. but they saw everything for sure. We yeah. saw everything. Um, that's a good transition. Let's, uh, take just a step back here. Talk a little bit about your background. Uh, where are you from originally and, and sort of what brought you in? What brought you to privateer originally? Sure. I'm, I'm an East coaster. So, uh, uh, I, I came out to Seattle in 2014 to join privateer. Uh, prior to that, I was an investment banker, uh, at Deutsche Bank. And then after that, I, I was internal m and I joined the insurance industry to, to run an internal M&A team for a multinational insurer, reinsurer for a number of years. Um, so I bounced around the traditional finance world. Um, after business school, I was looking at new opportunities. Uh, and this is 2013, 2014, 2012, 2013. Uh, and I, I couldn't believe what was happening in Colorado and Washington at the time. My background was, uh, my most recent background was coming from the insurance industry. And I'd spent a, a number of years uh, over in London at Lloyd's of London, um, basically integrating a, a syndicate over there into into this hold co that we had into this multinational insurer reinsurer we had so i understood that market really well and i was looking for ways to play in the cannabis industry and i noticed that all the mgas which are managing general agencies that were writing insurance in the cannabis cannabis industry in colorado and washington were uh, writing those policies through lloyd's of london so initially i was looking for uh i was looking for an institutional investor to do a roll-up strategy of picking up a number of these assets and 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 grouping them together and, and renegotiating the policies through Lloyd's. And the only one I could find uh, was Privateer. They they popped up out of nowhere on my campus in uh, in uh, at Dartmouth in, in New Hampshire. 
they were looking for a new associate. And so I interviewed with their CFO, with Michael Blue, and he ended up bringing me on, I think, initially to execute that strategy. But this was 2013, 2014. They were in process of launching Tilray at the time, and it basically sucked up all their human capital. Um you know, got pulled up from Seattle to, to uh, Nanaimo, Canada. And so I rapidly uh, shifted gears and focused on Tilray. And then after Tilray, uh, I had a more generalist focus. I took over their investment team in 2015 uh, and I ran it until I left in 2018. Uh, so it was uh, a pretty wild ride during that time period. Yeah. Yeah, uh, what what a seat, what a viewpoint, um, and and how do you make the decision to jump and sort of start your own fund? How, how do you how do you come to that choice? It, it was incredibly difficult, um, to be honest with you. So I had spent four years with Privateer. They, you know, as with every single startup, any startup, you have you know ups and downs. There's a bumpy road, but I love that team, and you know, it was just some of the best people I've worked with. Uh, true visionaries. Um, but, you know, it had run its course at four years. I'd gotten that entrepreneurial itch again. I'd seen what you can build in a four-year period just from, I mean, I was, uh, you know, one of the top lieutenants of, of Michael and Brennan and Christian and, and saw what they were able to do uh, if they're willing to take the risk themselves. And so I knew I wanted to take that path and I knew I wanted to, uh, I'd seen enough at my time of privateer that I knew I wanted more exposure to uh to strategic investments and minority investments in the U.S., uh, which we weren't doing at Privateer at the time, uh, at a much smaller scale. And so, um, you know, the idea, I think, had been percolating in my head for probably a year. And when the Tilray IPO was happening, it it felt like that was a nice uh, transition point for me. So Mm -hmm. I announced my resignation, um, you know, concurrently with the IPO. Uh, and uh, to be honest with you, the, the executive team over at Privateer could not have been uh, more gracious and understanding. So I will always give them credit for that. Uh, and they uh, they really you know allowed me to to go off and spread my wings and, and try and do this on my own. Very very cool. And notoriously, raising a first fund for first time fund manager can be very tricky. Maybe in your case, it was a little easier given your direct experience. Talk a little bit about getting those first checks in. Yeah, it, it's always hard. Um, it's always hard. I'd say we did a lot of work up front in order to mitigate the execution risk for our investors. Uh, so yes, they were investing in a in a committed capital fund. Uh, but they weren't investing in a blind pool. So, you know, for a two month period after I left Privateer, we really worked our tails off to make sure that we had a number of deals ready to go so that when we raised our first dollar at the end of September, uh, you know, we we pretty much immediately begin deploying right there. Um, so we had warehouse number of deals and we had, uh, you know, just off our own balance sheets and we had, you um, and we had uh, basically negotiated a number of deals. So the timing, the real stress was in the timing of the deals, making sure the capital came in in time to, mm-hmm. to, to fund the deals. But um, we really uh, mitigated the risk from our investors from that standpoint. So the initial checks that came in um, actually, you know, uh, came in relatively quickly. We, we closed six of that um, $15 million fund in the first month, which, which really helped us, mm. you know, uh, get off to the races and, and move very fast. 
Yeah, awesome. And you haven't looked back since. Um, let's talk about that process a little bit. You've done a lot of deals in a short amount of time, uh, and you're only a two-man shop today, I think, if I'm correct. Um, talk us about that due diligence process, that deal flow process. I mean, kind of, how do you evaluate companies? How many do you see? How many do you take seriously? I suppose. Yeah. So we, it's it's a fire hydrant right now, and you know the next time when we raise fund two, we'll definitely be staffing up. Uh, but we probably look at somewhere between, you know, I think in our first couple months, we we're heavy deal flow. We we're talking sixty deals a month, probably is what we were looking at. And obviously, you don't you don't do diligence on all those. You, you know, a lot of these you can kind of sweep to the side pretty quickly, yep. which is, and I, I go back to my experience. It's, it's really important to have someone that's been in the industry for a number of years, just to be able to sort through, you know, what's, what's real and what's not pretty quickly uh, and figure out what you need to focus time on and, and where the thesis makes sense and where it doesn't. Um, so, you know, initially we were looking at 60 a month. It's probably down at this point, down to 30 a month, but it's still, know a, a lot of deals coming our way um and then we probably i mean you could see just from when we started talking and when we finished we had executed another four deals yeah. um, in the last month uh and essentially some of these are deals that we've been talking to for a month but the majority are not so you know botanica we we just executed that deal this past month we've been talking to the botanica guys for i've been talking to them for years but we've been talking to them seriously for the last six months mm-hmm. um what, what was the leaf was relatively new and willow was you know a three-month process um and then bic uh, which is bioactive ingredients corp which we also just executed in the last month uh, that was again uh november of 2018 we started talking to them so you know, this tends to be a, a process. It's not, you see 30 deals in a month, you find, you know, five that you like and you execute one in the next month. It's usually a conversation, especially in the growth equity phase where we play. And you're waiting for these companies to get to a certain point where, you know, they're at an inflection point where they need more capital. Um, you know, they have customers, they have a real business, uh, but they're looking for that, you know, gasoline to throw on the fire. Mm-hmm. And that's usually where we step in. Yeah, got it. Um... So I always like to connect sort of the work you do during the day with sort of who you are as a person. Uh, how would you say through this process that you your relationship with cannabis has changed? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> so I, I was a consumer in uh, you know high school and college, and then I, I went on hiatus for quite a while. Uh, until actually, you know, coming back in the industry, industry, and even or coming into the industry, and even when I first joined Privateer, I really wasn't consuming for the first year. Um, I've taken it up quite a bit actually. Now, in uh, I'm in my mid 30s. Uh, I've got two kids. I like to use it uh, to unwind a little bit, and mine I think of as the the sort of dad consumption model, which is I'm um, you know somewhere around ten to twelve percent CBD and two to three to four percent THC. But I I like a very very mellow high, and I use it to unwind, and it basically you know curbs curbs the drinking a bit, and I feel it's a, just a healthier approach to 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 you know, relieving stress. Is how I use it. And uh, any favorite products? What do you like to consume? Edibles, uh, flour, vapes? What, what are you into when, when you do? 
Yeah, so typically I'm I'm either edibles. I really like the mints. So part of the reason we invested in in uh, Moxie, yeah, in, yeah, in Botanica is, is the mints, and I'm a big fan of Moxie's mints. Um, I like I'm liking the beverages more and more as they start to get uh, faster onset. But you know, flour is still a core staple for me, and I I still have my old uh, you know flour vape uh, uh, from packs from probably gen two at this point. So that's typically what I use, um, for, for, for consumption. Got it. Okay. Um, you have such an interesting viewpoint, like 30,000 foot viewpoint uh, of the industry. What do you read? How do you stay informed every day? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So I, I have a number of obviously Google alerts that come through, uh, there, you know, it's, it's, at this point, the, the information is coming from every single direction. Back in the day, you could look at you know a few sources that would talk anything about cannabis. Now it's coming from everywhere. The Cowan research reports are usually my stable for just keeping up with uh, uh, you know what's happening at sort of the macro level, particularly at, at the U.S. macro level. Um, they have a, a monthly uh, letter that they send out, which is sort of a state by state play, uh, which I look at. Uh, that's you know and then from there it's i'm i'm getting uh so much inflow from deals that you're reading through decks and trying to understand what's happening in each state you know both pairing it with sort of the the what's happening on the ground what kind of companies are actually gaining traction who's raising money and why and then you pair it with some of the more thirty thousand foot view but i'd say you know there's no um there's no clean information source other than, you know, obviously Cowan research reports, of course, headset data. Um, mm-hmm. But again, that's not that's not really reading material as much. That's more I use that on a day to day basis to see which brands are taking off in which states and why. Yep. Um, but that's that's usually where I'm getting all my information from. Got it. Um you mentioned some of the stress in raising the first round, and I'm sure there isn't without stress uh, deploying it. How do you deal with those? What's, what's sort of your advice for dealing with the ups and downs? The ups and downs of stress, you, you need to be able to disassociate, you know, on a day-to-day basis, the the job and, and your own level of stress. Uh, honestly, it, it sounds new agey, but I've taken up meditation in the last month and it's helped uh tremendously just getting grounded and, and, you know, reconnecting with, with yourself and, and making sure that you're, you know, not taking, not internalizing things is what I, I find find happens pretty quickly. Um, cause it is a lot, right. You're, if you look at what I'm doing on a daily basis even now, so we're closing fund one at this point, but you're, you're raising capital. You're looking at new deals, assessing new deals. You're deploying capital. You're structuring deals, and we're doing that both for the fund and the sidecar. Um, you know, it's just a lot builds up over time, and you have to find ways to to make sure that you're compartmentalizing it a little bit and, and getting stress relief. So, meditation and exercise, very important. Got it. Uh, so, last question here. I'll get you out of here. Is um, you've seen quite a bit of growth in the cannabis industry. You've been in, uh, really had an awesome view thus far. As you look into the future, how do you want to see it to evolve? Is there something that you want to see built or, you know, kind of give us a little bit of prediction for the next uh, five years or so? Uh, the crystal ball. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it's really hard. Um, 
obviously, obviously, I, I want to see, uh, you know, the, the federal uh, viewpoint on this change. We need real legislation. The States Act is, is obviously, uh, you know, the, the, the next big hurdle that would be great to see overcome in this industry. Um, if that happens, I think the whole, the whole world changes and we need to adapt to it. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people will talk crystal ball five years, States Act passes, and then basically it's just a free for all and you can do whatever you want. I, I think there's probably been too much invested in each state's regulatory system for that to actually happen. I think it'll be more like alcohol after prohibition ended, which is you still have, you know, ABC stores in South Carolina and North Carolina versus being able to buy hard liquor in, uh, you know, every grocery store in California. Um, I think distribution will follow the models that have been set up state by state. So I think people have to be aware of that and make sure they're planning appropriately. Whether or not you'll be able to sell product over state lines, uh, I think that'll probably come down to uh, court battles, frankly. Um, and yeah, it'll it'll have to be uh, brought up uh, from a constitutional standpoint, which is inter- interstate commerce. Um, but that would be my guess and how and how that one plays out. But the time frame is anyone's guess. Um, obviously, you know the CGC, the recent CGC investment. Uh, I think it was a, a $300 million purchase option uh, for acreage holdings mm-hmm. tells you that some people have, uh, people have uh, very high confidence that, that the state's act is going to go through in a, in a short time period. Yep. Um, so I, I'm keeping my eyes out for that. I, I hope that happens and it'll be very interesting to see how, how the industry changes thereafter. But that's, that's my, my broad view of it. And then I think, you know, long, long term. This is a CPG play, and that's why we we have, you know, a number of brand investments in our portfolio. We're looking at the cheapest way to produce cannabinoids and then, you know, the most effective way to uh, educate the population and sell those. And that's, you know, really through through branding and marketing. Very well said there. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure having you. Uh, Any way that our audience can help you? Are you looking to hire when you when you raise your next round or how, how can we help you? Yeah, no. Look, we're, we're always looking to make uh, to make connections across this industry. We're we're very open uh, about that. Uh, G and I, you know, we we have pretty wide networks, and we're only happy to make them bigger. So, if anyone wants to get in, in contact with me, uh, you know, please please do. Uh, we will be hiring for fun too, so we'll be looking for you know people with uh, investment banking, private equity backgrounds, and and uh, you know management consulting. So awesome. All right, Nico. Well, thanks again. It's been a real pleasure. Brandon, thank you so much. This is uh, a lot of fun.